All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday, our final hour here and heading back to the Wester Hotline to talk to Greg Gabriel, who is the host of the Greg Gabriel Talks Football podcast, but more importantly, the former Bears director of college scouting joins me on the Wester Hotline. Greg, Happy New Year to you. I know it's a little late in January to be throwing Happy New Year's around, but I haven't talked to you since, so Happy New Year to you, my friend. Well, thank you. Same to you. By the way, listening to your update doesn't sound like College hoops and Buff is doing very well. No, no, uh, you know the big three, uh, the big three programs uh, outside of St. Bonaventure, who's doing pretty well. Canisius, Niagara, and uh, and UB have had some uh, had had some tough seasons this year, and a lot of turnover at the head coaching position down the street here at the University of Buffalo. But yeah, you know, I, listen, it's it's the. Uh, it's a cold winter here right now. I, I know, I know you're, uh, you remember these winters here in western New York, but uh, after uh, the last week or so, it's been especially cold and, uh, and dark here in Buffalo. So, Well, that's Buffalo in the winter. Especially January, man. January, this, yeah. this, this, has yeah. been a, this has been a true winter. We've gotten a lot of snow the last couple of years. We've, we've gotten lucky and have, have sort of skirted the, uh, the heavy snowfall, but it's been you know single digits, teens, and lots of snow. And uh, it, it's just not a great time for that, that sort of seasonal depression, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but the ski places love it. Oh, certainly do they do, uh, and they're, I'm sure they're getting a lot of uh, a lot of folks this weekend with uh, with the weather and the snow on the East Coast the way that it's looking. But Greg, let's you and I talk some ball, my friend. And uh, I, I think you know I, w- I kind of want to start with a, with a ear to the Bills here, and then move into some of the moves we've seen the Bears make. I know you've sort of had your ear to the ground with this new Bears offensive coordinator position opening, and the interviewing is happening there. Well, the Bills are in the same spot as the Bears right now, looking to sort of shore up the staff after losing Brian Dable before. We get into some potential replacements here for the Bills. I want to ask you about your thoughts about the move for the Giants in getting Brian Dable and Joe Shane, and potentially you know Ken Dorsey as well if he decides to follow Brian Dable. What do you believe that the Giants are getting in Brian Dable, and, and do you believe I, I'm looking at it right now is probably one of the better uh, you know hires in terms of GM and head coach. Anytime you can get guys that are that have worked together and are on the same page, I think you're you're setting yourself up for success. But overall, you look at what the Giants did. Your thoughts there? Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I love his offense. And one of the things I like about it is it's all his. It's not that he's stole it from somebody else or trying to run somebody else's offense. And he's been able to adjust it through the years, depending on the pieces that he's had in Buffalo. You know, he made some changes last year when he got digs, and that opened it up a little bit more and obviously uh, helped Josh out quite a bit. Uh, as far as New York, you know, he's not going to have anywhere near the talent that he has in Buffalo right now. So that's going to take some time. The big question mark on Brian isn't that he can coach. It's that, you know, now he's he's overseeing both sides of the football and he's never done that. And you got to lead 53 guys versus 25 guys. And so um, that'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to that. Um, but I, I, I think the Giants got a hell of a hire. Uh, you know, I worked there for 17 years. I know the Mares really, really well. And, uh, you know, I hope nothing but the best for them with this hire. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know where we are over the next 24, 48 hours with the Ken Dorsey decision. I Listen, I think he's going to have a really difficult decision ahead of him. I, I think it's very clear that the Bills would like to prioritize getting Dorsey back and kind of remaining with a level of continuity on the offensive side of the ball. You mentioned Brian Dable's offense. Well, I'm certain that, you know, Dorsey is going to have his, his interpretation and his takes on Dable's offense and maybe evolving it a bit, but I think his offense 
offense will be rooted in the same principles that Brian Dable has. And I think that's probably a good thing if you're the Bills, and which is probably why Dorsey makes a lot of sense. Um, but if you are you know, Ken Dorsey and you're looking at both situations with the option to potentially be attached to the rebirth of Daniel Jones, if that's what he believes is, is, is capable of happening in York, or just kind of staying status quo with Josh Allen, if you're Ken Dorsey, what are you trying to weigh in this decision between going to New York and potentially, will he even call plays? We don't know if Dable's going to want to continue calling plays. I would think the consensus would be that he is, but if you're paying Ken Dorsey to come to, to, to New York to take over as the offensive coordinator, you're likely you know, back in the Brinks truck up because you're going to have to pay him top dollar to move away from Buffalo. So what is your thoughts if you're Ken Dorsey and you're looking at both of those situations? What might be the most important thing for you? Well, first of all, you got to back up a little bit. It's not as simple as putting pen to paper with Dorsey going to New York or Dorsey even getting elevated. This is a good point. In Buffalo. That's right. You've got to go through a process. It's a league rule. There's got to be an interview process, and they have to adhere to the Rooney rule. And, well, the Rooney rule with GMs and head coaches means you have to uh, interview a minimum of two minorities. With coordinators, it's a minimum of one minority. And it wouldn't be the first time that a guy comes in and just hits a home run that you didn't think you know was going to be a, a, a strong candidate. So, you know, the, the Bills can't offer Dorsey a boatload of money and give him a job because they, they've got to interview people. And, and the same with New York. So, and, and the same thing's happening here in Chicago. You know, there was a report out of Milwaukee that the, the Green Bay quarterback coach was going to get the job. Well, you know, that's nonsense. It's not true because I know one of the candidates very well. He's a close friend. He's here interviewing right now. And there's two other guys that are interviewing for the job. And the guy who has the best plan for Justin Fields and, and the Bears offense as a whole is going to be the guy that gets the job. So, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is, is media talk and they don't understand the rules. So you got to just wait and let things play out. And, you know, John Slater um, reported earlier this afternoon that Jagu uh, Jaguars wide receiver coach Sanjay Lal is in to interview for the Bears today for their offensive coordinator position. Former Bills wide receiver coach. That's a guy that has had a lot of time in the NFL moving from positional coach, wide receiver coach, kind of across the league. How serious of a candidate is Lal? Because that's not a name, Greg, that I've heard brought up a lot. Um, but he certainly has the experience that you're looking for if you are looking for a first-time play call with a level of experience in the league across different offenses and different coaching staffs? You know, I, I can't really answer that because I don't know him. You know, I've, I've never met him, never spent time with him. Uh, he's got, I know that he's got a very good reputation, uh, but he's never been a play caller, at least at, at, at this level. I know Pep Hamilton, who I'm biased towards because I've worked with Pep two different places and have known him for about 15, 18 years. You know, he's one of the candidates, uh, and he has been a play caller both at the NFL and the, the college level, and he's got the development of Andrew Luck and right. Justin Herbert yep. on his resume. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'm biased towards Pep, but I'm not the guy making the decision. The head coach is. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. And it wouldn't shock me that if Pep doesn't get the job here, he ends up being a candidate in Buffalo. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like right now, I, I kind of look at Pep Hamilton as maybe the gold standard for play callers that are available out there that aren't really in the same conversation as being a head coaching candidate. But I, I'm certainly like I look at Pep Hamilton, Greg, and I almost view him as the type of candidate that might not be a long term answer because I believe if he goes to Buffalo, he goes to Chicago and has a good season and develops Justin Fields or takes Josh Allen to a new level or new height, he might be a guy that's in the head coaching cycle just a season from now. So how do you, as an NFL franchise, do you have to take into account, like, hey, this is the best candidate, but he may only be a one-year Band-Aid because he's good enough and young enough that if he does well in this stint as a play caller, he might be springboarded into head coaching candidacy in just the next offseason. Well, first, I think you got to really show yourself over a period of maybe two years. Okay, he could be a candidate next year, but not necessarily get a job. A lot of times, a lot of guys go through interviews over a period of years before they find finally land a job. I mean, Dabo got interviewed last year, didn't get a job, got a job, finally sure. got a That's job right. this yeah. year. So, yeah. but at the at the same time, see, I look at it a little differently than you. I look at it if you hire a guy. And then people want him as a head coach. You made the right hire. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, so that's... then go out and get another, make another good yeah. hire. You know, so I mean, it, it, it's good head coaches always have a short list. It's not like you know they're shocked that they lost their guy. They open their drawer. They got another list, and and you know, and they keep updating that list. And that and that's the same with GMs with head coaches. They always have an updated list of who, who their guys are for potential head coach jobs. Greg Gabriel here on the Wester Hotline. Greg's former Western New Yorker, former director of college scouting for the Chicago Bears and hosts his own podcast as well. And Greg, I, I want to ask you a little bit because this is a name that I've seen pop up with Bills fans kind of over and over again. And listen, I think when Bills fans are talking about this offensive coordinator position potentially being open if Dorsey leaves with Brian Dable... I'm hearing a lot of former uh, former head coaches in the NFL. Doug Peterson's been a name that people have have thrown out here in Buffalo. The other one is Matt Nagy. I I, I kind of want your overall thoughts on Nagy as a offensive coordinator, not just in Buffalo, but a, a, in this hiring cycle. Do you believe he's a guy? Maybe I'll even rewind this a little bit. I. I want to maybe ask you about his tenure in Chicago and, and sort of obviously it ends up as a failure because he gets fired and they, they bring in Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles now and it's a, it's a new organizational structure. But do you believe that Nagy maybe – he's just coined as this offensive guru. That's why he got the job in Chicago. How would you grade what he was as an offensive coach in his time in Chicago? And do you believe as a future he's going to have the opportunity to be an offensive coordinator in this league again? Well, I kind of answered this when we were talking about offensive coordinators, but I, I look at it this way. He, he was the hot guy four years ago, and Chicago got him based on what his work was in Kansas City. And but he only called plays for like four games while he was the OC at Kansas city. And here was the key. It's not his offense. That's Andy Reid's offense. That's why I'm not real big on Eric, the enemy as a potential head coach, because he'd be the same guy, you know, you're, sure. you're, you're being a guy who's trying to run Andy Reid's offense. And, and reality is there's one guy who can run that offense and that's Andy Reid. And he knows how to make it work. So, 
you know, that being said, you know, I, I think Matt, Matt is really a good guy and he is a good leader. Players play hard for him, but I think he is stuck to, and I'm, you know, I'm throwing a dart at the wall here, but it's stuck to the system. Mm. And so, and doesn't necessarily adjust well, you know, to the moving parts within the system. You know, you got, there's a ton of talent in Buffalo on the offensive side of the ball. So, and, and we've seen what they can do. They put a, a boatload of points up on the board. So you want to continue that. So would bringing in a whole new system, which is a complicated system, and, and reality is it takes a couple of years to, to really understand it, would that be the best thing for Buffalo? Mm. I think for Matt, the best thing for his career, and he's still under contract for another year, um, the best thing for his career would be a quarterback coach. Mm. And because you'd be damn good at it, mm-hmm. and then evolve back into a coordinator's role. But I'm saying that, sure. you know, obviously, he probably feels different. Yeah, for sure. I, but yeah, that that was sort of my wonder about him. Right? Is I think there's a lot of ways you could look at Nagy. I was always under the impression that this is a guy that, at least for all intents and purposes, around the organization, was liked uh, by the players. He was a good head coach and a good leader. But to your point, sort of failed short in evolving his offense um, and evolving it in a way where what Brian Dable did very well, Greg, or th- at least this is my understanding of what I believe Brian Dable did very well, was adapting his offense and becoming a match based offense so that it never really looked the same week in and week out because he was developing a script around the strengths and weaknesses of the opponent that week where I think Matt Nagy to your maybe to your point here got a little paralyzed in the system and in the scheme and really couldn't evolve it in a week-to-week matchup based league where in the NFL the players are so good I don't have to tell you this Greg but like the players are so good it's it's a matchup and evolve a matchup week-to-week league and I think that at least from the outside looking in is look looked like that's where Nagy really failed to meet um, the requirements of what it took to be a play caller in the NFL. But as a head coach, I, I was hard for me to find anything that was like you know Nagy just isn't a good leader or he gets he's not that quote unquote player coach. I, I those things were tough to find. But when I look at Nagy, that was the concern for me is his uh, the failure to evolve as an offense. Yeah, well, you know, you go back to his first year and. They only lost four games, I think, and he was named Coach of the Year. He had a lot of success, but it it never went. The arrow stopped going up. In fact, it went down because I think it became pretty easy for opponents to zero in on exactly what he was going to do, mm-hmm. and and that that falls on him. So, and and you know the the development of players. But you know you, you could look at, at Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky played really well that first year and then never got better. And then I saw him just in the one game in the preseason game against the Bears uh, this summer. He's like a totally different player. And so I, you know, I, I again I put that on on Nagy because the guy is a better Mitch is a better quarterback than he's been given credit for. I agree. I, and Greg, by the way, Trubisky may get an opportunity. Listen, like I look in Miami, 
that may be a great situation for Trubisky. I think Trubisky did himself a lot of favors sitting behind Josh Allen, learning a little bit, because you're right. I, I think the failure for Trubisky's growth was more on coaching and scheme than it was on Trubisky, because I think he's a talented player. And and listen, the Giants may bring him in and, and force like a good competition with Daniel Jones there, too. Like I think Trubisky's going to have some options this offseason, Greg. Well, the team I keep hearing that wants him is, is Washington. Now, whether that's true or hearsay, that remains to be seen. But they obviously have a quarterback need. and um, There were definitely, Greg, some rumblings at the trade deadline about a potential trade with him to Washington. So that I, I, I think that's one of those situations where we all saw smoke. So there's got, where there is smoke, there's eventually a fire. Right. And, and you know, I know Ron Rivera real well having, having been here. And he would like the makeup of Mitch Trubisky, Mm. you know, so that could be a good fit, but you know, if that happens, it won't happen for another two months. So once free agency starts or six weeks. So Greg, last thing I have for you overall, your thoughts, your grades, your feelings about Ryan Poles, Matty Eberflus. Listen, I'll say this good on Chicago. It appears they found their guys and they went through the process, and they didn't wait around or or dub it as, well, we're just going to be patient in this process. Miami is saying that they were patient, and they just missed out on their top candidate because they were patient, so to speak. So with the concisive way that they did this process and they found their guys, what is your overall thoughts on the moves for the Bears this offseason so far? Well, you know, I, I like the move because, you know, the GM in, in Indy, Chris Ballard is a very close friend. Chris worked for me here in Chicago. And Chris speaks very, very highly of Matt Eberfluss. So from that standpoint, I'm going with Chris. Uh, Chris also worked with Poles in Kansas City. Chris was in Kansas City for three years before he went to Indy. Poles was a, a carryover from Scott Pioli's uh, administration is the GM in, in, in Kansas City, and Poles got more responsibility under Chris, and you know grew, and he continued to uh, grow. And I know some some scouts around the league who have been with him on the road, and there's not a guy you can find that's going to say a bad thing about him. You know, very organized, very smart. He's humble. Uh, he's got good instincts. So you know, overall on paper. It's a good hire. I mean, you know, hires always look good when you make them. That's right. you got to see what happens a year from now, two years from now, and three years from now. No, that's right, Greg. Hey, listen, as always, appreciate your time. Thanks for being so generous with it. Enjoy the games this weekend and uh, enjoy your off season. As always, uh, appreciate you and your insight. We'll do this again soon, all right, my friend? Okay, thanks for having me. Appreciate thanks, Greg. It. Greg Gabriel there on the Wester Hotline. Um, you can catch him. Uh, let me let me just make sure I get his Twitter handle correct. I believe it's uh, Greg Gabe on Twitter, uh, and you can follow him there. All right, I'm going to take a timeout. Ty Dunn was on the Extra Point Show yesterday. We're going to replay that for you here, coming back on the other side here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. All right, welcome back to WGR Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary, Zach Jones. We've got two final segments here for you. We're going to replay Tyler Dunn, of the, the founder of the Go Long podcast and newsletter. He joined Sal and Joe yesterday on the Extra Point Show. So here's the first part of that interview with Ty Dunn. That we want to waste no time today. Uh, we have a, we're going to do something we never really do, and that is have a guest right at the top of the show, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and that is because he just published 
some audio uh, for his podcast and on his website, Go Long TD. It is Tyler Dunn, friend of the program. We've had him on many times before. And Tyler does a weekly segment, a weekly podcast with Buffalo Bills wide receiver and return man Isaiah McKenzie. And he just published this like an hour ago. I listened to it, so I reached out to Ty and said, can you come on to give some clarity maybe on what Isaiah said about what happened in the last 13 seconds? So we're going to welcome, uh, welcome, I'm sorry, Tyler in on the Wester hotline. And Tyler, first, such short notice, so thank you. But also just want to say, like, you can give whatever you want out of this or direct people to your site. I don't want to give away what was said because I don't want to take away the clicks, but obviously you can give a little more clarity here if you can. Hey, man, great to be here, Sal. Good to reconnect, and, and thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh yeah, just go along TD.com, and it's within our podcast feed as well. If you just put in Go Along Podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get that stuff. But um, we talked for a full hour. Most of that hour is spent trying to get to the bottom of one of the most bizarre, ridiculous, epic, instant classic finishes uh, I think we'll ever see in our lives. So, um, I, I, you know, the reason I did this show, too, is, I, I mean, as you know, Sal, it's it, not just exclusive to the Bills. I, I think most of all these 32 teams, you know, there's no longer access. It's harder to get to the, the truth, um, to get to what really happens. And Isaiah McKenzie is as authentic as it gets. Um, he was all about doing something regular through the season. So it's been a lot of fun, you know, and at times not fun, you know, talking about um, getting benched and how he got out of that place mentally. But to get to this point um, with the chance to get to the Super Bowl, he, he explained best he could Everything he knew that went down those those 13 seconds, and I think by and large, um, without like you said giving giving too much away, we'd love people to uh, to check it out. We've got video up as well, in addition to the audio, which you know to see the body language I think is important. To see how he says things is important. Um, but I really think that there was a ton of miscommunication mm-hmm. um, between coaches and players those 13 seconds on what needed to be done on the field, and that is a problem and I think it's a problem that kind of blew both of our minds given that this is a team and a head coach with such an obsession to detail you know and Sean McDermott even alluded to that when we met with him on Monday he said we are a team that prides itself in detail or maybe that was Sunday right after the game but either way it was one or the other but he said that and and he kept saying the word execution what I have guarded against here Ty and you tell me after your discussion with Isaiah you know how you want to take this what I have guarded against from people when they keep say when when he says execution I think immediately people think that's on the players I want to say I think Sean McDermott uses that word to encompass a lot of things execution to Sean McDermott can be on the players, it can also be on the process of communication. Execution is also that part of it. And I, I, I want to stop short of saying he's simply putting it on the players there. It might have been the communication piece as well. Right. I mean, this might sound a little harsh. I think it's a pretty convenient top out myself. <laughs> I get it. You don't want to, no coach wants to throw anybody under the bus, right? If, if, if a player just screwed up badly and he wants to protect that player coach, I, I get it. I, I, def, I definitely get that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of thinking of the fan that, you know, pouring their hard-earned money into this team, and they're going to have a new stadium here soon. And I just think that the whole region just wants answers, and they want to know what the hell happened out there. I think they deserve more than, quote-unquote, execution. Not just them, but I, I think the, the players publicly, if, if the coaches, if, if Sean McDermott did make a, an egregious mistake, if there was something that happened, you could even argue that there shouldn't be miscommunication. These players should be ready for that moment. You should get them ready for that moment. Um, I don't know. I, I think that maybe that players don't want to hear that that word execution. You know Sean better better than I do in his verbiage and what he really means when he says things. 
I'm just kind of relating it a lot back to Mike McCarthy and those Packers playoff, you know, disasters. And through those disasters, that was a word. And you hear it with other teams too and other coaches elsewhere. Like execution often means we we put them in the position to make a play and the players could not execute it. So I'm kind of taking more of an NFL view, but Hey, you know, it is, it is a way we're we're kind of, we have to kind of investigate it here because nobody came out and said what happened, which is what we tried to figure out on this Isaiah show. And Isaiah, and you talked about it. It seemed like, and again, not giving away secrets from what, what he said, because he's not on the defensive side. And I thought part of what really blew me away, just like it was for you was, him also searching for answers, and it sounded like maybe other people on the team were also and are still also searching for answers. Totally. Yeah, I think he's being completely honest in that a lot of guys really don't know what happened. I don't think that in the locker room, and he kind of takes people inside that locker room in Arrowhead to just the emotion mm-hmm. of everything. It's, oh, my God, I can't imagine what that was really like. But um, nothing was really said by a player or a coach in front of everybody like, this person messed up, that person messed up. Here's why it went down the, the way it went down. Um, but, you know, everybody had exit interviews. Everybody talked he had an exit interview. I think I think that there probably are people who know. Obviously, everybody on the field knows and those involved know. Uh, but there's definitely a lot that don't. I, I take him at his word there. So Tyler Dunn joining us. Sorry, Joe, from uh, Go Long TD. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ty Dunn, T-Y-D-U-N-N-E. So you also talked with him about free agency and whatnot, and again, not asking you to give it away because we want people to listen to the podcast, but what's your vibe, given what he said, given his contract status, the season he just had, do you think he's back with the Bills, or is there even a chance he's back with the Bills next year? Fantastic question. It, it, he wants to be in Buffalo. He loves Buffalo. I mean, he, he's been living out of a hotel, you know, from day one. He was here when they were 6-10, and 10 and nobody's thinking Super Bowl. Josh Allen's a rookie. His career, Isaiah McKenzie's career, is on the brink, right? I mean, he's in Denver. He's fumbling. He doesn't know if anybody even wants him. And he kind of grew with the team, grew with the city. I mean, we were at Mister's Bar and Lanes in East Aurora. It was packed. I mean, they had to bring in more chairs, more tables, and squeeze people in, you know, to try to accommodate as many people as possible. I'm telling you, they're not there for me. <laughs> they're there for Isaiah McKenzie. He's a fan favorite for a guy that's a reserve receiver, a returner, um, who's had some – great moments but we're not talking about like a, a a main starter on the team i mean he's beloved and i think i think he genuinely wants to stay but i'll say this too i think he's smart i think he knows that when he did get his one opportunity because of covid not because you know he was vaulted into the starting lineup he had 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown against the patriots in foxborough and a game they absolutely had had to have so i i think that um and i, I asked him at one point you know your desire to be a, a, a slot receiver, you know, a main part of an offense, is that going to weigh heavily? I mean, is that something that you need to see in free agency? Without giving anything too much away, um, right. I, I get that sense. I think he knows that this is an opportunity he has to take advantage of because he took a pay cut to play for the Bills this season. More from Go Long's Tyler Dunn on the other side. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. All right, welcome back to our final segment of Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. More from Ty Dunn, who met with the Extra Point Show's Sal Capaccio and Joe DiBiase yesterday. The Bills obviously have a decision not only on him, but even with Cole Beasley's contract number, right? That could play into what they want to do with Isaiah McKenzie. They could save $6 million on Cole Beasley. I I want to go back to what happened, though, the night Thanksgiving night. I remember when he was inactive, 
and there was a lot of buzz on social media, and he literally said, like, I might be done for – I'm done for the year. And I, I, I'm watching him walk on the sidelines. I'm like, okay, no, he's not hurt, right? What does he mean by that? I think he was emotionally hurt. That's my sense. You can go back to the other podcasts you've done with him. But I think there's a, a question now, Ty, of – what his relationship is with the organization. I think you answered that. There's no hard feelings here with him and Sean McDermott from what I can tell from what you just said. I don't, I don't think – I think he's just honest. I, I think they do have a – right. I mean, it's, it's kind of a recurring theme on the show. We've done eight of them. And, uh, you know, he, he pokes fun, and I, I think they kind of give it to each other behind the scenes. And, right. You know, at one point um, when they played Jacksonville, I was like, are we going to see, you know, Sean McDermott pulling an Urban Meyer anytime soon at the bar? You know, he's like, absolutely not. That's the last you'd ever see in that situation um i i don't think that they uh are gonna hold you know honesty against isaiah mckenzie or hold you know that fumble in indianapolis against him anymore he proved that he can get past that he got back on the field and yeah they saved you know you get down to the nitty-gritty they did save a lot of money by moving on from cole beasley and i don't think i you know we'll see what the market is for isaiah mckenzie but even given Josh Allen's contract and the fact that they're in some pretty tough spots salary cap-wise, there's, there's got to be a way to make it work if they do want to give him that role. Yeah, I think so as well. All right, let, let's get to what everybody actually tuned in to hear you say. What's happening with Aaron Rodgers? You know it, man. You, I know you know. Come on. If anybody knows, you know. Oh, my God. Well, where do you even start with Aaron Rodgers? Um, well, you know, first of all, you know, another playoff letdown, and it's been – a decade, you know, since they were in that game, which is crazy. I mean, four-time MVP, Hall of Famer. It's it's crazy to think his career could end. You know, I guess to cut to the chase, I, I think that if I were to guess, this is just kind of a gut feeling more than anything. I think that he goes to the Denver Broncos. Oh. I think that uh, you know him and Nathaniel Hackett have a really close relationship. I mean, like there's nobody in that building that what I've been told from players that that he loves more than Hackett. So I think that he would want to go there, and they would probably give him the autonomy at the line of scrimmage. They'd probably give him a stay in the front office. Let's not forget the GM of that team was with the Vikings for a number of years, so he was just tortured by this quarterback for so long. Um, I, I don't know. It just makes a lot of sense. You know, behind the scenes, what deal did the Packers and, and Aaron Rodgers cut into 2021? Because they got him to show up at the 11th hour, you know, after, you're, after he basically dragged the franchise out to the public square to be flogged and embarrassed for seven months, and the Packers came crawling back and begging and pleading for him to play, they cut some deal behind the scenes. So when he got to this point, he can do what he wants. And if he wants to be traded, I think that they have to trade him. Um, so it's up to him. I don't, I don't, I don't see him retiring. I, I know that that has been a very real thought in his mind, but he can still play. I mean, he's going to be MVP probably, so – I don't know. I'd still be surprised with that. So process of elimination, uh, I, I think it's I think it's Denver. But never say never, right? I mean, all offseason, his um, you know his cronies and his sources were, were trying to make it clear he wants out and the GM needs to be fired. So who knows? Maybe he doesn't even know. Do you think? So do you think Hackett plays into that? Like, is that important to him picking Denver? Or do you think they would have been the favorite regardless? I think it's oh I think it's all Hackett. I think that they I think they would have been a favorite last offseason regardless. And now that he's there as the head coach, um, I mean, gosh, think about what it's like in that job interview. You think Aaron Rodgers' name is going to come up? It right. absolutely is. Like, they also interviewed know. the quarterbacks coach, correct? You're right, Sal. Yep, Luke Getze interviewed out yeah. there too. They could kind of get a little mini band back together out in Denver if they want. You know, Devontae Adams will probably get tagged this year. Um, but they might even have something where, hey, all right, you know, put up a Green Bay one more year and we'll get you out here in Denver 2023. 
Yeah, I mean, that's almost like I, – I feel like it was targeted by Denver, and I'm not criticizing them for that. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. if they want Aaron Rodgers, how, what's the best way? If Nathaniel Hackett walks in and says, I can deliver you Aaron Rodgers, um, you do that. Um, I remind You know, uh, what, what movie am I thinking of? I just watched the movie Die Hard. Die Hard was on during Christmas, of course, and when he walks into uh, the office of the, the, the terrorist is sitting there and he goes, I can deliver him to you, talking about John McClain, right? That's like Nathaniel Hackett walking into the Broncos and going, I can deliver you Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. Exactly. Tomato, tomato. Like that. Right. I mean, that's got to be a huge reason, right? I mean, I think so. In his own right, but yeah, yeah, it's a clear next week, and you got Mahomes and Justin Herbert to deal with. Okay, but here, here's where I land, because I've been down this road before, and you have, of course, as much as anyone. I think Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay because this is what Aaron Rodgers does. He just wants people to fawn over him, and he wants to create drama. And at the end of the day, he doesn't actually spur action. Maybe it's different this time, but this has been his playbook for his career. You're right. I mean, he he needs the attention. Um, He doesn't, in terms of, you know, things that are very, very important to Aaron Rodgers, I I think the public narrative is unbelievably important. I mean, he did a – a big interview, right, like, you know, 48 hours before the game of the ESPN, kind of talking about how he's perceived and how it makes him upset and, and how he just doesn't give an F this year. That's That's been the go-to line with the NFL Network, ESPN, he's McAfee. Um, I think that stuff matters a lot, and, and so he's going to talk a lot about a lot of things. And uh, I don't know, I mean, maybe, I mean, the pack, he's so talented. He's so good that I, I guess if you're Green Bay and he's done so much for you and it kind of behooves you – to do everything in your power to keep him, you're, you're going to just beg and plead and want him to be there. But I don't know. At some point, you got to move on. And I mean, he did not play well against San Francisco. That was the exact opposite of what you saw out of Josh Allen in the cold against New England and Arrowhead, obviously. But I mean, he just didn't want to be there. I mean, it was like, and they said he was under duress and he's under pressure. I mean, he was sacked five times. He had between three and four seconds on all five of those sacks. He wasn't under duress. He just didn't really want to take chances and just kind of went through the motions, and it's been the norm for him in the playoffs. So if you're Green Bay, at some point, rip the Band-Aid off. They should have done it last year. I mean, if Trey Lance is netting Kyle Shanahan – or, I'm sorry, if Kyle Shanahan is trading three first-round picks for Trey Lance, the right to take him, what is Aaron Rodgers going to get you? So as long as you have that ability to move on and get a lot for him, I think they really should do it. All right, that's Ty Dunn. Thanks again to all my guests this morning and into the afternoon. Thanks to Mike Catalana of Fox Rochester, to Matt Lombardo of Fansided, to Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN, and, of course, of Greg Gabriel. Uh, and, uh, and for you, of course, for listening along today. So for me, Nate Geary, Zach Jones, we appreciate you listening. Next week, I'll be back along on Sports Talk Saturday tonight on WGR 9 p.m. Puck Drop Sabres and Phoenix Coyotes. It is said that Craig Anderson is expected to be in goal. So you can expect the uh, longtime veteran to make his return and debut. Well, he debuted this year, but his return from the injury report after the Sabres are down now, I think like, is it 20 goalies, Zach? I'm not sure. It's, it's a lot of goalies. So Sabres, Phoenix, uh, Sabres, Arizona tonight on WGR 9 p.m. Puck Drop. So for me, Nate Geary, Zach Jones, we appreciate you listening on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR.